Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place is at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium in the Dayton Decibel Dungeon. the great college basketball venues in the nation, UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball, always wearing red and being loud. Oh my goodness gracious, welcome back. This is Talking Out Loud. I'm your host, Sully, and bringing you nothing but the best Dayton basketball talk for over an hour. Yes, you heard me, over an hour coming up right now um and as i start the show i wanted to to start right here that very few episodes reach this kind of echelon where i get legitimately excited to bring you the episode i get excited to edit it i get excited to release it and i get excited for people to hear it and give feedback because you know dayton's season ended in the third week of march we have this very long lull um, the off season tends to be about six and a half months until things really get cooking again in October. And then all of a sudden we have kind of this break in the action where we get to talk with the TBT guys. We ha- we do get, you know, more updates nowadays on Twitter than we used to of when the team is practicing, of course. But right in the middle of the off season, smack in the middle, we get this really cool break and TBT where we get to see all these guys who used to play for Dayton come back. They get to play more games on UD Arena's court as it is this year, which I think is the coolest part. So we've really, if you look at the whole cycle of this TBT or its its whole life, right, uh, from the time it started until when we uh, tip off on July 23rd, you know, I think the coolest part is that it started as this kind of offshoot tournament and then each year you remember the first year in Columbus you know they sold the place out the gym wasn't big enough and then you know Dayton made a run in year two that was pretty exciting they won a couple more games and I think a lot of people thought they were going to and then it it turned into wow if they can get to the arena this past year maybe they'd sell the place out and now in year four the TBT has realized the inherent value of let's be honest placating Dayton putting a game at UD Arena and asking fans who often wear red and white to show up rooting for our past flyers. And that's precisely where we find it today. We had this kind of cool event in July turn into a very welcome break in the basketball offseason calendar to give us something to cheer for. And, you know, most of the guys on the team this year, again, are going to be Dayton Flyers. So it is pretty cool that we can all get together uh, during the middle of the summer, talk about this. And it's a very long way of saying thanks for joining into the show during the summer months, because this is a cool topic to get to talk about. It's great to, you know, hear from the guys later on in the show. We have Jeremiah Bonsu, Ryan, Mike Seller, me sitting down with us. Um, 
Bonsu works for the Houston Rockets now. Ryan uh, has just finished up his first season at Tubigan uh, overseas. And so uh, we, you know, we sat down for a long time, talked hoops, talked refereeing, good stories and whatnot. Um, but this is becoming such a cool thing over the summer for those reasons exactly. And even more so this year because the TBT team is going to be back on campus. The university's hosting them. They're at the university practice facilities. They're staying in the dorms. You know, it's... It's not an alumni tournament where guys happen to be playing anymore. It's quite literally so intertwined with the university and the fan base and the city all over again, just like Dayton basketball, that um, you know I, I welcome it back with open arms, and I know you do if you're listening to this show. So tonight we have nothing but TBT coverage. Nick Elam in the middle of the show uh, catching up with us, as he does every year, once a year, here on Talking Out Loud. And um, you know, we got into it a little bit about the Elam ending, um, its uh, adoption in Canada, and then uh, you know how excited he is to again be hosting the TBT. Before I get to those interviews, uh, the Dayton basketball news that came across the microphone uh, right in between our last recording, which was last Tuesday the 21st, and today uh, the 28th episode releasing to you on the 29th, is that Dayton's A-10 basketball pairings are out. We don't know the whole schedule. Obviously, the non-con we talked about last week. Won't go through it again. We have plenty of opportunities to do that before the season starts. Um, but we do know Dayton's A-10 pairings as of this moment. And for a recap, uh, the home games that are one-off, uh, these are less so important. Duquesne, Mason, LaSalle, St. Joe's, and Richmond. If you look at those five games, I think all of us can agree we'd really like to win all five of those. And then the five games on the road will be Fordham, GW, UMass, at URI for the, uh, the grudge match against Archie Miller who will not be coming to UD Arena this year. And then they also go to Olean, New York. So then that leaves us with the four opponents that will be playing home and away. I think two of those were a foregone conclusion. Loyola and VCU, or sorry, Loyola and St. Louis, a foregone conclusion. A lot of people thought VCU was as well. I was not as bullish on that because I thought maybe they'd get pushed out because there's so many teams, I feel like, that the A-10 wants to stick with Dayton. Uh, Duquesne always being one of those teams. We've had home and homes a lot with URI and UMass inexplicably, I might add, but the A-10 finally threw Dayton a scheduling bone, and they put VCU and Davidson on the home and away list along with Loyola and St. Louis. So we're going to get into that very quickly. Obviously, Loyola and St. Louis, for geographical reasons, we kind of knew that that was going to happen, right? Um, Dayton has a really good draw in Chicago. I think that's a no-brainer game for um the A-10, and then Dayton's rivalry with St. Louis, the Arch Baron Cup, kind of speaks for itself at this point. Um, it's a really good kind of moment in the summer where we can look at the season um, from the looking glass and say that, you know, Dayton St. Louis, for for all the, the Arch Baron Cup uh, fervor that gets stirred up on Twitter, has really turned into legitimate rivalry. Um, the programs are back to being kind of relevant at the same times, both being good in the A-10 at the same times. You know, same type of really nice building we play in. UD Arena is better, of course. Um, good fan bases. There's always a lot of um, attention paid to those games. And Dayton-St. Louis really turning into a great rivalry for the conference. And, of course, 
with Loyola. I think the A-10 is hoping that that will happen again. I am skeptical that that will turn into any kind of rivalry, just given the program that I believe Loyola is going to be. And if you made me, nailed me down on this day of our Lord, I think Loyola is going to be closer to a George Mason type of addition for this conference than they will be to VCU when all is said and done. The one surprise out of the home and away uh, mix that uh, I didn't really see coming until the actual day it got announced was Dayton and Davidson. That's a great one. Um, Davidson obviously is going to be going through a little turmoil with uh, Bob McKillop retiring and his son taking over. But, you know, Davidson's relevant in the A-10 just about every year. Um, They obviously have had a finish in ninth, eighth or ninth here and there. But for the most part, been towards the top of the conference without me sitting here and rattling off all their finishes. Obviously, um, they were just in the uh, finals this past year, and they won the whole thing just a couple of years back as well. And then the last home and home is Dayton VCU. That, again, just like Dayton and St. Louis is pretty much the rivalry in the A-10 at this point. Um, Haven't had as many good games in the last five years as we did the five years previously, but, you know, when Dayton and VCU get together, it feels like something is always on the line. So that leads me to kind of the the whole picture here is that there's, there's two sides, two ways that you can look at this. I'm told that Dayton had influence over the selection process in the A-10. Or I'm told that the A-10 listened to Dayton maybe more than in previous years, which is probably the most likely scenario. Again, not that I am reporting anything that uh, you could slap down as a Real J journalist, but if Dayton never had any influence over the pairings, that would make a whole lot of sense to me because then blame could be put on the conference for year in, year out, sticking Dayton with home and home versus GW or a home and home versus UMass. Those games just haven't made sense in the last five years. You could even go back as far as six, eight years ago where the A-10 is trying to build their best teams up, give them the strongest games, so they can have the strongest resume and then get into the tournament. And how do you do that? You have top teams playing other top teams. Let's not bullshit around here. The A-10 knows that going into any season, such as right now, there are five or six teams that are not going anywhere. They're not going to the NCAA tournament. They're going to be mediocre teams. And the A-10 knows that. So there's no more placating bottom feeders in the business of college basketball. You have to match up your top teams with your other top teams or what you perceive to be your top teams going into the preseason and you let the chips fall where they may in the name of giving yourself the best opportunity. And right now, the A-10 has given themselves the best opportunity to have the best teams playing the most games against each other. Davidson, Loyola, St. Louis, and VCU all playing each other twice this year gives the A-10 a very strong opportunity to get to three and four bids if all of those teams and maybe, you know, maybe Richmond, maybe URI, maybe St. Bonaventure, who knows, but position your top four teams against each other and then let the chips fall where they may. And I believe the A-10 has done a great job at that. So if they deserve blame before, they get the credit now. But on the flip side, if Dayton has had influence over this process previously, and these were the pairings that we were given historically, there's plenty of blame to go around for Dayton. But I really don't think that was the case because I'm not, 
I'm not in the business of taking away credit from people that I know are intelligent. And I believe that Dayton knows what they're doing in scheduling these days. I think they always play the numbers. They always play the statistical probabilities of having the best chance to put together a, an at-large resume. And I don't believe for one second that over the last five years, Dayton has willingly taken home and homes with Duquesne and George Washington without kicking up a fuss. And frankly, if you believe that, that's your prerogative. But I don't believe that that is um, a realistic scenario that's played out. I think if Dayton has their way, they never play home and homes with anybody that is going to be towards the bottom, including, you know, LaSalle. Uh, Duquesne already mentioned GW has been bad for a number of years. Fordham, of course, is the other one you have to talk about year in, year out about being in the basement. There's no way Dayton will have willingly accepted home and homes versus those programs over the last five to 10 years. And you could not possibly convince me otherwise. So this is a time to finish up this monologue here today and get you to the interviews and saying that whoever deserves the credit, maybe it is the university of Dayton for pushing more of their influence on the conference Maybe it's credit given to the A-10 for finally listening or finally making the right scheduling decisions that had the strongest teams playing the most amount of games. Wherever that lies, whether it's with Dayton or with the A-10, I'm going to credit everybody and say that the pairings that came out were just about as good as it gets for this conference. They're just about as good as it gets for Dayton, and both sides should be credited in our part of the conference or our corner of the conference. Both sides should be credited with how this shook out. So hats off to the A-10 and Dayton for putting themselves in a fantastic position to get into the at-large discussion and get back to the A-10 tournament. That's all from me. We'll get over the interview here uh, with Nick Elam. And then on the back half of the program, uh, Jeremiah Bonsu and Ryan Mikesell sat down with me for almost an hour. Real long episode tonight. I hope you'll stick around for the whole thing. This is Sully, and you're listening to Talking Out Loud. We'll be right back. My first guest joining me tonight, as he has done now for the third consecutive summer, University of Dayton graduate, and his last name is famous, not as much as his first name, uh, because he is the originator of the Elam ending, and it is a delight that he is indeed a graduate of the University of Dayton. First guest joining Talking Out Loud this week, end of June, Nick Elam. Nick, welcome back to the program. I think this is the third appearance on the podcast, is it not? I think you're right. It's great to be back. Yeah, we're, we're making kind of an annual thing out of this. And before we jumped on, I know I'd, I'd kind of asked you before, but is it funny that this time of the year, like, do you see like a um, a violent ramp up in the amount of interview requests that you do for TBT just in general and people wanting to know about the Elam ending? Yeah, there's definitely a spike here in summertime right around TBT and then uh, definitely around February when NBA All-Star Game is uh, coming up. Yeah, so um, that was the biggest, so for listeners out there that might not know, and that's okay if you don't, um, I think the biggest, let's call it, breakthrough of the Elam ending was when you got picked up by the NBA All-Star Game, and uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, last year was the second All-Star Game that you did, or the third? 2022, that's the third year in a row that they've used it, and it was really cool. It was in Cleveland this year, and so uh, LeBron was going to come back and play. And I was 
in my mind, I was hoping, well, you know, maybe it would be cool to see LeBron hit a shot to win a game in a close game, and that's exactly what happened. It came down to next bucket wins, mm-hmm. and he he hadn't been shooting well that night, but he hit kind of a crazy, almost like Dirk Nowitzki-style uh, long jumper with a, kind of kicking out while he did it and uh, made the shot and had a great reaction in Cleveland, and that was kind of a, a perfect ending to it. Yeah, so that was going to be my next question is, where do the talks stand with the NBA right now? Are you going to keep you long term? Were they just kind of piloting that out? Help me understand where you stand now. I don't see it going anywhere, uh, at least not going backward with the NBA All-Star game. I think they're, I think it's in the NBA All-Star game to stay. I think the big question is, well, where would it go beyond that? And I think there's a lot of potential testing grounds that they could use for it. Uh, without having to jump into the deep end of the pool. I mean, they have different events such as the Summer League, G League, preseason games, things like that, where they could potentially try something out. They could – I mean, I know they've talked about introducing an in-season tournament, uh, They've, and it seems like that is imminent at some point. And in my mind, if you're going to introduce some sort of an in-season tournament, you have to do something to distinguish those games from the other regular season games. And so sure. I think that would be a perfect setting for Elam ending. But I only have so much say. I mean, they know where I stand on all these uh, <laughs> yeah. issues when it comes to the Elam ending You're debate. Biased. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, so we'll see uh, you know, where it goes from here. But I guess the, the cool part about it is at this point, now it's really the format that kind of speaks for itself. I mean, when it has such a great showing at the All-Star Game, I know that that can sway some people. Uh, right now we're in the middle of the Canadian Elite Basketball League season, and it's having a, it's the third year that they've used it, and it's having a great year there. Just on June 27th, they had a record-setting Elam ending comeback where a team was down by 14 at the outset of the Elam ending. They were even down uh, more than that. They were down by 16 later on. And then they got to a point where they – they couldn't give up one more point and they were going to lose the game and they were down by 12 and they were able to go on a 13, nothing run uh, with their back against the wall to win the game. And uh, I mean, it was just a, just unbelievable that kind of comeback. And I think that uh, when more and more people see that and see what's possible with the format, uh, they start to turn. You know, Americans are fairly brazen when critiquing and uh, spewing vitriol, as I'm sure you know on in social media. But I was curious if you have found a different brand of criticism up north, you know, because Canadians, you know, they, they don't like to be very rude. So I could see something, you know, popping up here and there like, oh, I don't like this Elam ending there, eh? Have you seen a different brand of criticism come across from north the border, or has it been kind of the same stuff you hear down here in the states? Yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. I guess maybe it is <laughs> a, it's a good thing that they they're trying it out in a country that's so polite because uh, <laughs> you know even even if they don't like it, it's hard to tell because uh, they're, they're pretty nice people. So uh, even the criticism, it's hard to tell um, that they if, if they don't like it like that. But uh, I mean, I think I think overall they they enjoy it. I mean, again. The, the biggest endorsement or the biggest proof that, that it's working is that uh, they keep bringing it back. Yeah. You know, again, at TBT, this is now year six for the Elementing format. Mm-hmm. Uh, NBA All-Star Game, this is the third year and counting. Canadian League, third year and counting. And and even if you go to just grassroots level leagues like AAU and you know high school summer camps and things like that, 
all those, every league that's used it has continued to use it. There hasn't been any league that's gone back to the time format after they implemented the Elam ending. And these are, you know, I know all these organizations, big and small, each time they implement it, you know, when it gets to the off season or the season wrap up, you know, they talk to all their different stakeholders. They talk to players, they talk to coaches, they talk to sponsors, they talk to referees, they talk to uh, broadcasters or broadcast partners, whoever it might be, and get input from everyone. And for them to bring it back says that it's working well on the court and it's uh, beneficial to all sorts of different stakeholders. So I think that's uh, I think that's really important. Well, when you're north of the border and you're enjoying a double-double and some Timbits, it's all basketball then there, eh? Um, all right, that's my last cultural appropriation joke of Canadians for today's podcast. Um, I, I, you know, I think your your point is well received, Nick. Is that um, when when you're adopting anything, right? When you're adopting new concepts, um, whether it be basketball, sports, or you know, basically anything culturally, I think the the greatest volume that it can speak to the project is not going backwards to the way it used to be. Because when you try something and you don't like it, your obvious inclination is going to be back to what you did before. And and I think you're, you're spot on in that um, all these leagues that have tried it, they stick with it. And, and so as we look at the entire basketball landscape, you've mentioned AAU, you know, you've mentioned the NBA, you've mentioned Canadian basketball leagues. Um, I know you're starting to get more pickup in Europe or at least interest in Europe. The only thing I haven't heard you talk about is the NCAA, the college game. Um, is there just flat out no interest there or are they haven't find, are they having trouble finding ways to kind of sneak it into their model? They have been the most, I guess, the slowest to change, um, which I won't say that that's shocking to me. uh, I mean, a little bit, though, because look at the women's game. They just changed to four quarters like, what, five years ago, maybe? I mean, it's not like they're resistant to change and changing the game fundamentally, right? They've done it. Yeah, and there there are some changes that I like that the women's game has done. I, I do like the four quarters, mainly from a foul reset uh, standpoint, I, I like the the four quarters. They also have done the the rule where you can advance the ball on a timeout in the closing minutes. I, I'm not such a big fan of that rule, but um, you know they've they've pushed the envelope a little bit more in the women's game. And so, if it were to be adopted at the NCAA level, I could see it happening in the women's game before the men's game. But either way, um, if it does happen, I, I wouldn't be shocked if it's. Uh, a later implementation than, than some of these other levels. Well, here, here's my other thing too, especially with college basketball is that at a face value, I think that the best way to test this out would be in an M- MTE tournaments. I'm talking Maui, I'm talking Atlantis, um, et cetera, et cetera, right? All those tournaments around Thanksgiving, uh, rest in peace, great Alaska shootout. They need to bring that one back. God willing. But, um, for testing it out for those games, that's all well and good, but then you have a skewed sample set because you wouldn't be ending all of the games in the season that way. So I think that might be the major hurdle for college hoops is that you have this great forum to test it out in these tournaments. Unfortunately, the tournament games need to count the same as every other game. Do you kind of see that as a hurdle? Because I'm sure being you know as traditional as you are, which is probably less than most, you definitely don't want to have games end in different ways that count the same against your record, right? Well, that yeah, that could be an argument against implementing it at those holiday tournaments. But I think that 
um, for the same reason why you say that that might not work there, that immediately comes to mind a setting where possibly could work, which would be like the NIT or definitely CBI or CIT, any of those uh, postseason tournaments. I think that might be an even better opportunity uh, to implement it. So again, we'll see if I, if I had to bet if, if uh, you know, men's college basketball are implemented, I would say that it'd be one of those postseason tournaments, but I agree. it's hard, hard to uh, predict. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the perfect use case for this would be at the NIT um, and even less or so at the CBI. You know, if you want to ease it in CBI one year, you know, NIT the next year, I, you know, that, that makes sense to me because then at least the stakes are a little bit lower. And, and of course, I mean that when you start messing with the tournaments at Thanksgiving, those all matter for the purpose of the NCAA tournament, whereas the NIT and then CBI and the other tournaments at the end of the season do not, right? They're kind of their own thing. They're their own bubble. Um, and the ramifications are not, you know, as dire, especially with all the money that's on the line for smaller schools to get to the NCAA tournament. But um, well, I'm also, I'm, I'm curious to get your take on this. So I, I am, uh, you know that I'm a diehard Dayton Flyers fan and I've yeah. traveled far and wide to see them play in the NCAA tournament. I've seen them play against almost every A-10 opponent. But one thing somehow I've never made it to, I've never made it to any of those holiday Thanksgiving time tournaments. Uh, how many have you gone to and which ones uh, do you recommend? You know, uh, I'm glad you asked that question. So you can you can put all the information out there for listeners. I've never been to one either. Um, and <laughs> for the simple fact that like they're always over Thanksgiving and, you know, I I spend enough of my time uh, geared towards the Flyers and watching games and creating content. So I try not to rock that boat within my family. You know, Thanksgiving's a, it's it's a bit sacred in my household. And if I started devoting more time to the Flyers than I already do, uh, that could land me in some hot water, Nick. So, I, you know, I've obviously heard plenty about all of them, uh, the good, the bad and the ugly. I know I can tell Flyers fans that are contemplating the trip right now to go down to the Bahamas in uh, November. It's going to cost you a lot. And I'm talking like into the five figures range, you know, ten to twelve thousand dollars to take, let's say, a family of four down there. So, you know, that's the other thing is that it unfortunately, it's kind of geared towards the richest fans in every fan base, which is fine. Um, you know, I kind of contemplated going out to Maui in 2020. Same thing. I just couldn't make it work with my family plans and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm like you. Uh, travel a lot to go see the Flyers. But the Thanksgiving tournaments, I kind of let those sit on their own because I, the friends that I do have that go to those, they've kind of made it like more of a tradition over the years now. And um, I feel like that's the only way it can it can happen, right? As if like you and your family are all flyers and you kind of have made this an annual thing. And, you know, my dad is a flyer. But if it was just me and him going off to the Bahamas for Thanksgiving, I don't think Mama Bear would be too happy about that one. I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there. <clears throat> so take that for what it's worth, man. Um, it, what about this year? So at top of the show, I had mentioned that uh, the A-10 schedule pairings came out and you being a, a loyal Dayton Flyers fan. Um, you know, the beginning of the show here, I'd mentioned how the A-10, it, it seemed like they got it right. I don't want to pivot too far away from the Elam ending. So that's always why we have you on. But I felt like the A-10 got it right in that they paired Dayton up with the best teams in the conference or the perceived best teams in the conference in the preseason. Um, from your lens, you also feel that way that they're kind of coming around and realizing that they need to schedule better games in the conference. 
when I saw that the pairings had come out, I, I looked very quickly at it. I looked for one thing and one thing only. I wanted to see if they were playing at Loyola Chicago. Uh, I want to make a trip up there to see that. So once I saw that, then uh, I'm going to figure out some some way to get up there and and see them beat the Ramblers. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great arena. Um, it's very small. Flyer fans, you know, don't be expecting this grandiose arena, but it's very new. Uh, probably only seats about like three or four thousand people, so it's very intimate. There's not really a bad seat in the house. You can be standing on the back wall with your butt up against it and have a better view than you would in the back of the lower level at UD Arena, right? Um, and it's pretty easy to get to if you're off the red line. Um, it's not really downtown Chicago by any means. It's probably about 10 miles north. But uh, you get off the red line and it's like, I don't know, maybe two or 300 steps and you're right there. So you have to walk right past the cafeteria of Loyola to get into the arena. So that should tell you kind of how tiny it is and how tucked away it is. Right. Um, last one I had for you, Nick, and I think I asked you this question a couple of years ago, and uh, it's always on my mind when we get together because I myself, I struggle with the brief elevator pitch when it comes up at a barbecue or conversation that like, oh, Sully has this podcast. Like, you know, People are always like, oh my God, that's so cool. You have a podcast and people listen to it. And I'm like, yeah, but then you have to go into the whole explanation as to like why you have this thing. I think you can see where I'm going with this. July 4th is coming up. You're undoubtedly going to be at a barbecue. Let's say your new wife, congratulations, Nikki. I'm just got married for all the listeners out there. Let's say you're with your new wife at one of these barbecues and the Elam ending thing comes up. How do you approach that topic at a barbecue amongst friends and family? Yeah, uh, well, first I tell them probably the best way to find out more about it is to Google it. Dip but, then, <laughs> but then uh, I have to give them something. So <laughs> I just say, yeah, uh, it's it's a way to uh, keep an exciting and fluid style of play through the end of every basketball game. It's implemented at TBT, the basketball tournament, the NBA All-Star game. And if they want to check it out in action and see how it works, uh, TBT starts up July 16th, goes through August 2nd, and it'll be all over ESPN. And plenty of chances to see it there. 63 uh, games where they can see it this summer. Yeah. So then you kind of you have to let the other person kind of dictate where it goes from there because they're either walking away like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Or they want to know more. It kind of just goes in that one or two directions, right? Well, and just recently somebody was uh, let's see, they were they were introducing me to one of their friends and they were kind of talking about what how the Elam ending worked. And they had a misconception that the way it actually works is that there's still a clock, but you just hide the clock somehow. Like you put a, <laughs> like a, like you put a, like a cover over the clock so nobody can see the clock. They thought that, that that's how it worked. And I almost corrected him, but I thought, you know, we'll just, we'll just let it go. Does it matter? Yeah. <laughs> I find myself in those situations all the time where I'm like, hey, am I going to correct this person? It, no, it, it doesn't matter. Um, well, thank God your na last name is not Sullivan, man, because Sullivan ending, uh, the Smith ending, those don't really roll off the tongue. So I think you're very fortunate in that regard that uh, your name ends in a vowel that also happens to be the same vowel that ending starts with. So I don't know if you've counted yourself so fortunate to have that, that crossover, but I'm just putting it out there for you. 
Um, I think uh, the last time we talked, the, the coolest thing that you had said that you'd done was was do the NBA All Star Game and you got tickets. Is that still kind of the coolest thing that's that's popped up from this whole? I don't I don't want to call it project and like minimize it, but this. Um, I don't know. What would you call it? And what's the coolest thing that, you know, is it a, is it a movement? Um, and what, you know, what's the coolest thing you've gotten to do so far? I, I use the word project. That's the word I use most often, I think, to describe this, uh, which is now, let's see, 15 years and counting. Uh, and, and who knows how, uh, you know, how much, where we are in the story. I don't know if we're still in the early stages of the story or, or where we are, but uh, I mean, the coolest thing, I mean, going, being able to go to NBA all-star games is, is really, really cool. Um, uh, this year, I'm really looking forward to seeing the Elam ending at TBT at Rucker Park. They're having uh, seven games at Rucker Park this July, uh, which I think is just going to be a, a spectacular setting for it. Uh, I'm going to, of course, check out all the games that are in Dayton this year. And I think, uh, you know, as long as the Red Scare is able to stay in the tournament, I think they're going to get great crowds and great atmosphere. I think in Cincinnati, just being able to go down there and witness it, uh, you know, seeing the Xavier alumni team, I think that's going to be great. And then I'm going to try to make it back out to Wichita, where they've had the best atmosphere anywhere, getting, yeah. uh, I think, close to 10,000 fans for the Wichita State alumni team. So uh, when you say what's the coolest thing, I, I think it's, I think it honestly is just getting to see the format play out in person because again, this all started with a 10 year stretch where I was only able to see these games unfold uh, on paper and in my mind and uh, just really dying for that chance to, to see it prove itself or, uh, or flame out on the court. I would have been fine either way, but uh, to see it uh, meet my expectations and see my expectations in real life and get to be around other people kind of seeing it for the first time and understanding uh, the merit of the concept that that's cool. And it never gets old. Yeah. And, and like yeah. we said, man, um, each year it's, it's really cool to see this uh, just get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and a little bit more people talking about it and more eyes on it around the basketball world. Because I know selfishly, every time I do see it, uh, I think in the back of my head, well, you know, they're talking about the flyers in one way or the other, whether it's an alumni or the guys on the floor. Um, you know, it's, it's just cool to, to see one of our own, you know, have a, a project like this and take it as far as you have. So always enjoy the annual conversations, man. Um, I know you're always a loyal listener throughout the course of the season. So it's great to have you on in the summertime when we do this to, uh, you know, to recap and, and see what's up and, uh, you know, get ready for the TBT. So July 16th, you heard him was the first weekend that the TBT will be in action. And then the 23rd, of course, will be at UD Arena, which is what we're getting you ready for here on Talking Out Loud. So, Nick, always a pleasure, man. We'll be looking out for the Elam ending here, the TBT. And, uh, you know, we'll talk soon, as we always do. Sounds great. Really enjoyed it. All right, man. That's Nick Elam, inventor of the Elam ending right here on Talking Out Loud. Stick around. We got Ryan Mike Sell and Jeremiah Bonsu up next. You're listening to your boy Sully, and this is the best date and pass basketball podcast on the airwaves. Talking out loud. Welcome back to the show. Still talking out loud. 
still the number one podcast for Dayton basketball fans everywhere. And I'm still your host, Sully, coming to you with the last segment for this evening. And uh, I hope you're enjoying our summer coverage. Uh, TBT is right around the corner, less than one month from the day of this recording. And as such, we want to get the team together. Last week with Joey Gruden. This week, we have Jeremiah Bonsu. And Ryan, don't call me Chip. Mike Sell joining the program. I think we actually did this exact same three-person roundtable last year. Did we not? We did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, we did the week the week of the TBT, I believe. Okay. Yes, yeah, so we're just doing it a little bit earlier this year, but you know, I'm a get out in front of it kind of guy. So here we are. We're back to it. Um, it, you know, my motto on this show is if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. So uh, welcome back to the show, fellas. It's great to have you first and foremost. Uh, Ryan, I think we caught up last on the show in like March, maybe February while you were still mid season. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. yep. Um, so let's start there, man. Uh, you're, you're done with uh, Tubigen. And you told me that was how you pronounce it. The, the emphasis uh, on Tubigen. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Um, so what's been going on? You, you what uh, finished up the season and then you signed a new contract going to play in France. Is that all right? Yep. Yep. I finished up the year in Germany. Uh, teammates of the finals. Unfortunately, we lost in the finals. Uh, then about two weeks later, I signed a contract to go play in the first league in French or in France. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's a good opportunity for me to kind of continue to build my resume and you know, play, play basketball for money. I don't have to grow up quite yet. So just try to prolong that as long as I can. Uh, but yeah, everything's good my way. Just working out this summer, getting ready for the TBT. So what's that process like? You, you finish up the season in Germany. Do they contact you? Do you, does your agent say, Hey, I got offers lined up for you. Um, what does the transition look like? Yeah. So pretty much, uh, you hit it right on the head. Um, my agent's talking to teams pretty much the whole year. Uh, and then at the end of the year, we, kind of got together we you know make the list of you know because at that point you like since I had such a a good year I had you know a lot of options but you kind of nail them down and just figure out like okay I want this this and this I don't like this I don't want to be you know you you can kind of pick which is which is nice which is a lot different than the situation I had my first year um yeah you're just like someone give me a contract I'll go right yeah you know (laughs) yeah exactly exactly so uh now that you know, I'm in this situation now. It was definitely a different feeling. Uh, but no, yeah, it, me, my agent and I, we got together. We talked it out and decided this was the best situation for me. That's cool, man. And it is cool that you like have options like, oh, I don't want to live in this country or I do want to live there. For the yeah. listener's sake, and actually it's kind of for my sake as well, where is the best basketball played in Europe? Like, Are there specific leagues where guys are like, man, I'd really love to get to Germany or whatever the hell? Yeah, I mean, so European basketball is is uh, a little more complicated than like you know than what you think. Uh, there's European competitions, and then there's also domestic competitions. Which European competitions, like the top leagues, obviously like Euro League. You see a lot of uh, fringe NBA guys, former NBA guys, even current NBA guys go over to Euro League and play there, and make you know really, really, really good money, and they're kind of treated as like the superstars. So that's like the top league in, in all of Europe and all European competitions. And then in terms of like domestic league, uh, the best league over there is is in Spain. Uh, they have the best just straight Spanish teams like from top to bottom. I would say they have the best league. And then you can make the argument that France is up there. Germany is up there. Italy like those. I would say those Israel, Turkey, like 
those leagues are all about the same. You know, it kind of varies from team to team. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the goal is to play on a EuroLeague team. Obviously, like, that's my goal. But you got to, you know, take the right steps and build up your resume. European teams are very big on, like, you know, what you do this past season. They're not just going to, like, give you an opportunity to give you an opportunity. Like, you really have to prove yourself. So that's kind of what I'm in in the middle of doing right now is just kind of building my resume. So hopefully one day I can, I can make it to that level. Was living in France part of the decision? Like, did you really want to live in France or was it, is it team kind of and the contract that made the decision easier for you? No, I actually, uh, France was definitely a country that I like, I, I definitely could see myself living there for an extended amount of time just because this culture isn't, isn't a whole lot different. Like obviously the language barrier is different, but once you get past that, uh, you, you kind of figure out the basics of it and then everything else kind of takes care of itself, you know? Yeah. Cause I think last time we talked, you said that, uh, you kind of like living in the small town in Germany, but it's not really indicative of like living in Germany. If you were in Berlin or Frankfurt, uh, people would probably have a way different experience living over there than, than you did kind of being in a, a little bit more of a small town. Right. Cause you're not yeah. isolated, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like living in Dayton versus living in New York city. It's just going to be different. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You hit it. Yep. That's yep. exactly right. And I'll, uh, I'll be in a similar situation in France. Like I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to be right in Paris where Paris is, you know, one of the biggest cities in, in all of Europe, but I'll be, you know, close to it. Like I can get on a train and be there in an hour. So if I want to get that city life, I can, you know, get it if I, if, if need be. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool, man. Well, it's, it's great to hear <clears throat> that uh, you had a great rookie season out there and obviously um, we're watching along. It, that's one thing for me as a podcaster, content creator, guy that follows the flyers and then flyers afterwards. Obviously we have at professional loud that follows all you guys when you're over there. But uh, even more so than that, it has become so much easier to follow the Americans that are over in Euro leagues, because I remember like 10 years ago when I was getting out of school, you were kind of like in a black hole. It was like, oh yeah, like that guy went over there and uh, yeah, he's still playing over in Europe. Like Keith Wallace <laughs> was like that. Yep, I remember yep. he, you know, he played overseas and I knew that he played overseas, but I couldn't tell you anything about the teams he played for his stat lines or nothing. And then one day, um, I want to say gra- he, graduated he retired like around 2013 maybe and then like all of a sudden it was like hey keith wallace retired he's coming home and that was pretty much all you got it was like oh well he's hanging it up whereas now you know we can kind of follow along and obviously you know the the team that you were just with in tubigan they were you know putting highlights on social media and you could see crowd shots and you know, I, I got a lot more familiarity with the team and I'm sure that's been cool for you, right? To kind of hear, uh, people back home, like not watching the games, but seeing the highlights afterwards and and following along. Right. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, like you said, social media is, uh, you know, it could be used for, you know, it could be a bad thing, but a lot of times it's a good thing, you know, like just being able to spread information and, and spread potent share and, and spread posts like that. Like it, it was really cool. I had a lot of people reach out to me throughout the course of the year you know, saying like, oh, we saw this, we saw that, like, congratulations, keep up the good work and stuff like that. And like, for me, having that support all the way across the world, like, you know, it does get lonely at times. There's no, I don't have family and friends. Like all I have is my teammates over there. And that's pretty much it. You know, I was fortunate enough, my girlfriend was over there with me. So it was just me and her kind of, you know, living our life, but being able to, to have other people, you know, in the States to see kind of what we're going through. It was, it was really awesome. 
Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And then on the other side of the fence, uh, our man Jeremiah Bonsu, he of walk-on fame at uh, the University of Dayton, uh, is still with the Houston Rockets organization, and I believe he's slaving away right now, putting together uh, a post-draft report or something like that. I don't know, man. I don't, what What do you assistant coaches do in the NBA? I have no idea, man. Well, You're gonna have I, to. I mean, you have to brief me on that. Well, I'm I'm a, I'm a video coordinator here. I'm not gonna say assistant coach because people get really. Uh, <laughs> If you like, they get really fo- like focused on titles around here. Yeah, oh yeah, 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 uh, sure. You know, right now we're just preparing for summer league. We're gonna start summer league <laughs> practice, practices here up. Then we'll go to Vegas, and we have a lot of young guys. We're a young team, so we have a good amount of our rotation players who are gonna be playing in summer league. So it's a fun, exciting time. You know, when you have back to back drafts with two, three first round picks in these draft, you know, there's a lot of talent here now. Uh, you know, we we, we haven't. We've been great the last few years. We've been developing, and we're sticking to the plan. I was going to say, as a coach, or you know, as a guy who's on staff for the Rockets, this has to be a super. I want to say like an interesting time to be a part of the organization, but also a time that's like prime for learning at where you are in your career, right? Because if you join. Uh, okay, let's just use like you know the Suns or the Bucks or you know the Mavs, whatever. Those teams are established, like they're trying to go out and win a championship, right? Um, but for the Rockets, they're right in the middle of a rebuild, and they're they're kind of at the end of the tearing down phase, and now they're at the front of the building back up phase. Like you said, they had two first rounds picks. They got Ty Ty Washington, uh, Jabari Smith was the other pick, right? Yeah, um, and then, uh, Tari Eason as well at seventeen. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so. That has to be cool for you because you kind of get to see this entire process play out from rebuild to reload, right? The even best part is like I was telling guys here, like with Ty Ty and Jabari, like I was at Arkansas, we were recruiting them. Oh yeah, like we were trying to. So I've seen, I've literally watched Ty Ty since he was a sophomore in high school. Now, yeah, then getting a chance to see him play at Kentucky and then now playing, gonna play with us. So it's really cool, and you're hit it right on the nose. It's learning, you know. Like there, you get thrown. If you're on a championship team, it's a different expectation level, and things are a little bit more heightened in other areas versus the development side. So I get to kind of develop as a coach, and you know, watch these players develop as players and as guys. Uh, like Jalen Green, Albert Shingoon. Last year, we had a time where we had four 19 year olds on the on the court. <laughs> That's gotta be so it. weird to have like professional b-ball players be 19. Yeah, and it's even crazier when you're like, damn, like, y'all good as hell for 19 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, get buckets. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's, it's exciting. Um, the good thing is we have really good leadership here from top down. Everyone's kind of the same page. You know, yes, we want more wins, but we're not going to sacrifice wins and, you know, in for the development of our guys. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. What uh? What have you learned now that you've been in? I guess you're, you're going on what year two or year three at the Rockets. Year, year two at the Rockets. Yeah. So now that you've gone through a whole calendar year, getting ready for summer league again, and I remember last time I talked to you, you had like just been hired for the Rockets. So what have you learned? And I guess that question is a little bit more specific in that. I guess what did you not know about the NBA versus the college game that uh, that I guess maybe you wish you did when you j- got the job. Just how important defense is and how hard it is. Uh, you know, like, I think a lot of people watch basketball, NBA basketball and they'll tell you they don't play defense, they don't whatever. And I'm like, how, what are you supposed to do against Steph Curry, 
when he pulls up from 35 feet and you brought everyone out, like you have three, four guys ready to guard him and jump on him. Uh, like it, these guys are so smart and they're so skilled. Like the skill level is crazy. So it's a defensive nuances. Um, it's the most fun part for me is figuring out how to build a good defense. You know, it, it's hard in the NBA, but you have to do it if you want to win. Yeah, that's a really good point. Other side of the table, Ryan, I know that I did ask you this in, in March, but um, you know, same question. Now that you have a full season of Euro ball, completely different than NBA ball or college ball, what did what was your biggest takeaway from that whole season? You know, was it the style of play? Was it getting adjusted overseas? What was it? Um, I think uh you know, if you just compare the two, it's so much uh, – it's just – it's you just don't get as many possessions. It's such a slower pace. Like a lot of the game is played in the half court, whereas obviously the NBA, you can get up to I think like 120 possessions. Bonsu would know, but it's it's like a crazy amount. And, um, you know, it's just so much more up and down. The court's more open. You have the three – in the NBA, you don't have the three-second uh, uh, defensive rule. Uh, oh, no, so you do cute. you do in the NBA and in, in your league you can just sit or in Europe you can just sit there in the paint the whole time you know what yeah. you could just sit in the paint the whole time in Euroball it, yeah it's, by the way yeah. that rule right there that rule if that was taken from so you know that whole oh, they don't play co- defense like they do in college you know when people say that yeah insert defensive three seconds and watch these college scores shoot up oh they yeah shoot up into the hundreds easily. Yeah. No, no, I completely agree with that, man. And and it's like, I don't, I don't know. So let me, let me go, you know, a little bit deeper on that. Do you think that'd be good for the college game or not? Bonso, I'll let you go first on that one. Um, no, because I think that college people have a certain thing they want to get out of watching college basketball, a certain experience and certain yep. like what they want to watch. And so I don't think it, it's necessarily be good. I will say this, a place like some of these football schools, it would be good for them. So like Alabama, Nate Oates, when he came to Alabama, he starts going up and down and they're playing crazy. Uh, not pr- They call it pro ball, but it's really not because it's still college uh, and it's not nearly a, the same. They, they say it is, it's not though, but they play really fast and it's entertaining for the fans. So they start having more people show up. So that's what it would do. But I, I think at a place like, like Michigan State, those fans would hate that. They'd yeah. be like, well, we're not playing defense like we used to anymore. <laughs> you know? and, and yeah. Now they, they would get Look at our own conference. People at VCU would have a goddamn conniption. Like, oh, oh my yeah. God, we gave up 75 points tonight. In college, uh, the college games are so different. The fans, because the fans matter so much to what you're doing in college. Because you need their support, especially now NIL, just to have a decent program. Yeah, 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 for sure. Ryan, I know we cut you off there to kind of when I asked you, you know, what was different about the game and whatnot. But, um, but, you know, what what do you think on the college game? Would that would that be a detriment or do you think that'd be an addition? I think Bonsu hit it right on the head. I think a lot of these basketball programs are so influenced by the alumni base and the fans and whatnot. Like, you know, I think it would I think it would be good for some schools and some schools. I think it would, you know, like you said, Michigan State's a prime example. They really stick their nose in the ground and play defense and all that stuff. But like, you know, it, it just it would be completely different. I think. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It would just be uh, I don't th- I don't think it would be good. I think you really learn how to play the right way and with having that rule because it forces you to make that extra pass, you know, when the defense is already there and stuff like that. Like, 
I think a lot of that in the NBA is just all they're caught up is points, points, points. So, yep. you know, for a basketball fan, I know Bonsu agrees, like the European basketball, like if you get a good yearly game, like that stuff's really entertaining because they really like you, you figure out def- different de- defensive schemes that other teams have. And like, mm. yeah, it, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Did you, uh, I know, you know, you, you kind of keep things, uh, you know, under wraps for the most part in, in the college days, but do you have any good stories of, of guys you really got into it with this year, uh, throughout the course of the Euro season? Uh, Ryan, so this is, Ryan, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell a good story. Cause you had a wrap around your head one game. So <laughs> <laughs> I knew yeah. there had to be one. Like, I know no, you can't like, light up. Like, come on like now. Send you a Ryan so game. there's like, so there's Bro, two, there's, there's two stories. I'll give the, I'll, I'll try to make them quick. So the first uh, one, we got time. Uh, the rap that what Bonsu was talking about, the wrap around my head. So <laughs> I was cutting through the lane and I was on offense, so we were running some some actions where I, I, I back cut, and then the other guy in the corner fills up. It's like the ball screen motion. I don't know. Bonzi knows what I'm talking about. But yeah, I'm yeah, cutting yeah. through, and there's a guy in help, and he goes and, like, checks me. And when he checks me, his, his head hits me right in the face, and I just, like, I, I just drop because – my my face just starts bleeding everywhere and i'm the one who ends up getting the foul called i got an offensive foul called on me even though i end up with a giant mm. gash in my eye yeah so i go to the locker room and the doc is there like stitching me up all this stuff and uh i asked him i was like hey like am i good now like the bleeding stop you stitched me up like just let me go out there and play he, and he's like no you can't play and in my head i'm thinking like what do you mean i can't play like it's just some cut. Like you stop the bleeding. What's the worst that can happen? Put a bandaid on. I'll be fine. Yeah, let's go. And the doc and the doc was like, nope, you can't do this, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'm trying to explain to the, and then I get to the bench and then the coach is like, are you ready? You ready? I'm like, no, I can't play. Like all this stuff. And then I go to the doc one more time. Like, listen, doc, like take me up, like put a giant bandage on my head. I don't care. So what does he do? He puts a giant bandage on my head. I look like I just got hit in the head with a baseball bat the way he bandaged me. Like, I looked ridiculous, but I ended up going out there. I finished the game. We ended up winning. So like, like, I mean, it worked out. We won, but like, it was just such a frustrating, like trying to have a conversation with a doc. Like the doctor didn't quite understand like how important this game was. And just the sense of urgency there just wasn't like how it is in college basketball. Like, so I wasn't used to that at first. And then uh, my second story was the last game of the, uh, of the season it was the finals game and uh we're playing at home and like it was a point differential so it's uh so how that works is you play two games and basically you combine both scores and then that's the score at the end so we lost the first game so we lost the first game by eight so that means we needed to win the second game by nine to win the championship yep so we're at home we're playing well like i play the first half goes by i scored like 20 points in the first half like i was playing really well Mm-hmm. And it was a really physical game. Like the refs were letting us play. They were pushing us. We were getting into like there was technicals called and all this stuff. So it was a physical game. And I'm walking in at uh, at halftime and their coach meets me like right in the middle where our two locker rooms meet before we depart for a halftime. Yeah. He gets in my face and says, I, I mean, I don't are we allowed to cuss on this? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not on the radio anymore. I'm good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But he said some very choice words, and he basically said, "Stop fucking flopping, you mother effer! You are being, you are being a, you are being a dirty ass player." Blah blah blah. Just some other words, 
And they caught, it caught me by guard, off guard because I really, like, you know, as a player, you know whether you're kind of playing dirty or not. And for me, I really yeah. wasn't doing it. Like, I was, I was just playing well. I was hitting tough shots, getting to the free throw line, all this stuff. And I went back at the coach and I was like, you're not going to tell. And like my teammates are right behind me. So obviously I don't want to back down. Like they're, they're watching me take this. Like, I'm not going to back down to this guy. Yeah. So I get in his face and then one of their players comes and pushes me. So our, so I had two or three guys on my team come out of nowhere and push their player back. And next thing you know, there's like security breaking us up. No, but none of the fans see this though, because we're already like kind of into the tunnel. Yeah, and then you just see our coach come come in out of nowhere and just start like going crazy on their coach, blah blah blah, all this stuff. We end up like split, uh, like parting ways. Um, at this point, uh, at halftime, we were I think we were up nine, so we're like winning the game. We're up nine, so everything's good. Uh, but we went at halftime, uh, came back in the second half. Coach, we we ended up not playing very well. We I think we lost the game by like one or so. Um, okay. Like at the end of the game, coach was like apologizing to me, saying like, "Oh, my emotions got the best of me." Blah blah blah. I was like, "Man, fuck off, dude." Yeah, like, you fuck that guy. <laughs> like you, you don't don't bring that energy, man. Because if you would have lost yeah. this game, you wouldn't even shook shook my hand. Like, yep, f off, dude. So like, yeah. there's like, yeah. I mean, that was probably about the craziest story I got for you right now. I've but got- I'm still early in my career, so I've sent Ryan videos. Cause, like I would watch his his games and. You, there's video clips of him just running through the lane, and they would just check him like they would. <laughs> I'm talking like it's hockey out there. Yeah, yeah. In the physical league. That's the that's also one of the bigger differences. Like the the NBA is physical because the athletes are just humongous and powerful. Yeah, but like they wrestle out there, man. They wrestle in, in Europe. They, yeah, it's crazy. yeah. That's the exactly right. Guys get away with more than the American guys get away with. Man. Yeah, don't even get me started on these refs, man. There's been so many times where I like I try not to, and then you go to talk to the ref, and the ref like because you're an American, he gives you like no no time of day. Like yeah. it'll be literally be a free throw. The the ref is just sitting there. I'm just like, sir, do you see this or do you see that? And he just is like staring at me. I had one. <laughs> I had one ref tell me, you don't need that call. You're an American. You need to finish. The, <laughs> you need to finish. You need to finish the layup. I said, it doesn't matter if I missed or made the layup. If the person comes and whacks me across the head when I'm shooting a layup, call the effing foul. Yeah. <laughs> like. Oh, my gosh, dude. And then, like, I didn't want to get it. Like, over there, you get fined for every technical you get. So, like, I, I ended up getting one technical. And, like, I like because I don't want money to come out of my pocket. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So, you got to be careful what you say. And, yeah, so. Dude, I'd love I'd love that stipulation in college ball where like you get a a one percent deduction on your NIL deal if you get a technical foul. She would <laughs> she would change real fast in the NCAA sure. basketball landscape. For sure, <laughs> I know Bonsu knows they talk crazy to refs in the NBA and G League. Like that's uh, that's a whole different that's I, a whole different ball game. The, good, the really good like the star players here, they're just from LeBron from point one. LeBron is on the ref. Crazy, yeah, crazy, and half of these refs are like, "Oh yeah, you know, you're probably right." And guess what? He, the LeBron, and some of these star guys are probably usually right. Like they know yeah. the rules better than some of the refs know the rules. Yeah, that's true. And and you know, to not that I love giving referees credit for stuff, but when you do get to a certain level, and I guess you can call professional Euroball all the way into the NBA. The game is moving so fast a lot of the times that it is, you know, it's hard to officiate just, you know, man to man. Um, So, like, I get it to a certain extent. 
I can tell you guys, like as a fan, you know, fly on the wall fan, as I watch basketball as much as I do, what I get really upset about is just like really obvious, basic shit, you know, that that should get called 10 times out of 10. Like that's the kind of stuff that boils my blood as a fan. And I'm sure it's, you know, no different as a player, but you know, just in my ability to play both sides, I get why officiating's become poorer and poorer over the years. The game's getting faster. The guys are getting stronger. Um, you know, even let's, let's use LeBron as an example. Like LeBron's 265 pounds. He moves as like one of the most athletic people I've ever seen on this planet, as I'm sure you guys could agree, right? Sometimes he will run a man over going through the lane and you're like, damn, that was like physically impressive. And then the next time down, he'll like take a routine foul and act like he just got his arm chopped off. You know, like how do you officiate that? Because he's basically picking and choosing when he's going to react to contact So, like, I understand why that would be hard because sometimes LeBron legitimately gets absolutely hammered going to the bucket, but he still finishes, you know, or he's still upright. And other times it's the exact opposite. So, like I said, I I like to play both sides. And that's how I see it is that in the NBA, it's just difficult because guys are constantly reacting to things that aren't fouls and then like bowling through things that aren't. Like, I'm so glad they cleaned up that whole like kicking thing and like, guys falling down there is like so little times when you're playing basketball when you put up a three-point shot or any jump shot and then you're falling down to the ground after you shoot like that's the, not the a thing. thing the thing too what i'll say this the refs referees all cross like especially in the nba i'll just talk about the nba yeah team. best refs in the world yeah the thing that kills them is players and ryan is one of those players he's always been they will start practicing how to get these calls. And then you lose so hard <laughs> yeah. on Like, it's like, oh, fuck, I got to give you that call because you know the rule and they know the rule. And a guy like Ryan's probably looking at the ref like, you know, and you know, I know you have to call that. <laughs> oh, for like, sure. For sure. You know, like, like, me and Ryan would always talk about like how to pull, hold a guy down on the, off- on the boards. Like, it's such a, you, it's a perfect time you had to hit them when they're jumping and they're going to, and they're not going to leave the ground. The ref can't call it. The guy's saying, hey, he just hit me in the back. And the ref's like, oh, technically, yes, I know he did, but I can't call that or, you know, so I don't, I blame the players. I blame the players. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say, like, Bonsu's wrong because he's totally right. I mean, like, <laughs> this year, this year, like, everybody knows the whole James Harden, you know, when he goes into the lane, don't reach yeah. for his, don't reach for the ball because you're going to get a foul. He's going to put his arms out. You're going to, you're going to hit his arms. That's yeah. like. I 100% put that into my game, and I would get it at least once a game. And you could tell at the end of the at the end of the year, it was in the scouting report because anytime I would go and extend my arms, instead of dudes reaching for the ball, they would pull their hand back real quick because mm-hmm. they're like, "I'm not even going to give them an opportunity to draw the foul." So, like, he's 100% right. Players are getting just so, especially at the NBA level, like players are just getting so smart in their basketball IQ. They're understanding, like, you know technically this is a foul like if he hits you on the arm even though you're kind of creating that contact you, I mean, you go on YouTube, it's hard to argue you find every little part of a game now like every single skill videos chopped up all that stuff yeah so like this uh the players are just getting so damn smart like yeah. it's hard it's yeah. hard out here for refs coaches you're like damn man like this guy's now he can shoot and he's out here flopping like that yeah, yeah right. I mean, Trey Young is a prime example. Like, what do you do on a ball screen? You try to fight over. Oh, he's just gonna flail, 
and he's a lot of times he he might even get a four four point play out of it because he's such he's such a good player. So he's such a good shooter. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there right now. Hopefully, TBT, watch out for the flops. Yeah. put it out there right now um, we'll, we'll get man, i mean we'll I'm get retweeted by the tbt account on twitter so you know we, we have that visibility you know somebody from tbt is going to be listening so the team we played last year that knocked us out my goodness jeez that was a lot of flopping going on in that game yeah i i guess it's a good time to shift gears to the tbt here as we're nearing the end of the episode um you know, we've announced it every time, uh, or sorry, a couple of times every show, but July 23rd, you guys are back at the arena. TBT is going on, finally going to get that home game, <clears throat> uh, win, lose, or draw. There's going to be a game at the arena with the Red Scare team in it. Um, and, you know, not that I want to focus on the refs to start, but that's kind of where the conversation led us today before we get into the rest of it. Um you know, over the years now that you guys are have been there for a couple of years, Ryan, this will be your second year. Uh, Bonsu, I believe you're going into the fourth year at TBT. Yep. Um, I'll start with you, Bonsu. I asked Joey this question last week. You know, you go back to year one, Coach JB. You know, what are you telling him, you know, with what you know now going into year four? It's physical. Like, it's yeah. physical. And the guys, the main focus has to be on not on how we can score, but how are we going to get stops when we're tired, beat For up sure. on, you know, hopefully day two, three, day two and three. Mm-hmm. You know, day one, everyone's fresh, adrenaline's pumping. Uh, and then the last part is just like, don't get too cute with it. You know, don't get too cute and as a coach and thinking, oh, I'm going to draw this up. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Like, because that then day comes down to how well the players play together. So we have to find a way to motivate them outside of the money. Yeah. You know, as, and that's, where we have a great opportunity because we're playing at home. Like we're playing at home. There's a lot of extra stuff, you know, the dating, the dating community has been through a lot in the last three, four years. Yeah. Uh, then also you have the 2020 team not getting to really win a championship. Uh, they didn't do much in the postseason. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, and then as a return, it could be for, like I, I t- me and Joey talk about it. This could be the ve- the last t- chance we ever get to be on that sideline. Yeah, this is the last chance. I bet Ryan never thought he'd play another game on that court when he was done. So yeah. we have those motivations this year now, and that's why I think it's uh, a unique opportunity for us this year. Are you thinking about that, Ryan? You know, like, damn, I didn't think I'd play another game, and here we are. You're three weeks away from playing another game on the court. Is that does that cross your mind yet, or did him just bringing it up kind of like reminded me? I'm like, oh yeah, shit, that's right. Yeah, I mean, so I went down and did the like TBT selection show thing, and I, I was asked that question by Jablonski, and and it did like I remember the last game against uh, George Washington where we cut the nets down, and I like hit my last shot. It was a three in the corner. I was like, man, I was sitting on the bench when I got subbed out. I was like. That's the last shot I've ever taken this arena, like yeah. meaningful, you know? Yeah. So, you know, to get an opportunity to go play in front of fans and, you know, hopefully we have a good turnout. And, um, you know, my biggest thing is just having pride to represent the university as best as we can. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's in the just, city, in the city, in the city. Yeah. Like those people, they've done so much for us and supported us. Uh, so like the least we can do is go out there and just just play as hard as we can and play you know, play smart, play together, and um, yeah, just just kind of play with pride out there. 
Yeah, I mean, not that I'm comparing our situations or anything, but you know, as I've done this show, I'm going into like year six, you know, hundreds of episodes and whatnot. Um, I, I would be crazy, and I would be uh, a man that doesn't do a whole lot of self reflection if I didn't consider like what my role is and you know what I do here and who I represent and all that kind of stuff, right? And I, I constantly go back to that, which is why, like, I didn't mean to correct you, but I did because. I do feel like, okay, it's the, the University of Dayton basketball team. You know, we want to represent the school. But I also am not naive to understand the fact that like three out of four people that go to the arena on a nightly basis to watch the team did not go to the university. They're, you know, Dayton locals. They live in the city. They live in the area. And so I, I always want to like not so much like be inclusive, but like just make people know that like I know they're a part of our fan base too. And representing the University of Dayton is representing the city of Dayton. And and I take, you know, I take pride in that. I'm not a person that's ever lived in Dayton beyond going to school there or I didn't grow up there or in the area like you did, Ryan. But um that's part of it, right? And I think that's why it's it is so prideful because we don't compete with, you know, other schools to to get eyeballs it's like you know that we have we have the name right there on the school the Dayton Flyers you know we represent the city and the school so I always think that part is important too um but you're getting back into the basketball thing I guess I probably have my answer on this question already Ryan but being over in Europe for a year was the physical aspect of the game you think prepare you better to come back home and, and play TBT now yeah I think so I mean you just like as a player in Europe you just kind of you just try to just control what you can control as like cliche as that is. Like I can't yeah. control whether this ref calls this foul or not, or whether he's going to call that or, or how consistent or inconsistent he or she is. Like you just have to go out there and understand the game plan and like, and just try to focus on that. Try to focus on your teammates, your, your, the task at hand, be where your feet are type of deal. And, and try not to focus, you know, Oh, the ref just missed this call or he's, he gave me a bogus call or wh whatever it is. Like, so I think, you know, having played in Europe, I think it'll definitely help me in terms of the physicality part. And, you know, just understanding that, like Bonsu said, the game, yeah, obviously you want to score more points, but, like, you got to get stops. Like, yeah, that's the name of the game. You, If you can get the most stops, usually you'll win the game. Like, we have enough talent on our roster for the offensive end. We just got to find ways to, to get stops. And that, yeah, that all defense comes down to is the name of the game. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, defense definitely the name of the game. Um, the squad's already filled out. Uh, I saw you guys kind of finalize the roster, and uh, the last edition was, was the Bonsi last edition, the, the seven footer Kufos, or was there one one guy after that? I can't remember. So, so CJ was announced last, but uh, Kufos was actually the last one. CJ had committed about a month ago. We just were waiting, you know. Okay, got yeah. you. So. And and Kufas, that came along, right? When we saw Carmen's crew was not playing, we were like, okay, go to their roster. Yeah, start picking through it. <laughs> go to their roster immediately. And, and honestly, I was I wanted to call Ryan and say, like, you're sorry, I, I'm getting a text. I don't know if you guys hear that. Yeah. But uh, I'll be like, you're going to be out of there because we're going to bring David Lighty on. <laughs> you're going to kick Ryan out. I'm going to tell Ryan, Ryan and some other guys, hey, we don't need you no more. But John, <laughs> you know me, I'm not, though. Yeah, no, I, I know. I mean, I mean, David Lighty's a great player, so I, you know, but you, get I, I, you, uh, yeah. you asked Ryan about the physicality preparing him. I actually think like the big thing is a guy like Ryan is we want him to bring to take what he was doing and too big in <laughs> and bring it here. That yeah. confidence, 
you know, and just play your game. Because if we get a confident guy like Ryan, we V's confident, Joe's a killer, uh, you know, we're going to be fine in, in that. So that's the main thing is forget the physicality. Bring your game and how you play for your team. Bring it here, and we'll just we'll figure that out after. Yeah, 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 yeah no doubt. Um, wrapping up here on Talking Out Loud with uh, with Jeremiah Bonsu and uh, Ryan Mikesell, and we've uh, definitely enjoyed you listening into the program as much as we enjoy giving the program to you and being on the mic here. Uh, on June 28th, we still got a couple of weeks until TBT. We'll take a week off for the 4th of July, and then we'll have more TBT coverage for you afterwards. Um, last couple of things, guys. Um, we were on with – I was on with Nick Elam of the Elam Ending. I know you guys have both met him as well. Great guy, and we love having him on the show. Um, <clears throat> how much preparation, how much coaching, how much – uh, consideration goes into the eel mending because you know neither of you really have experience throughout the year playing with the eel mending until you get here to the TBT. So, I mean, is that really the focus of of what you guys prepare for, or is it just kind of you know something secondarily that you have to be ready for? Because to me, it seems like I would put the most preparation into those situations because you never kind of know what situation you're going to be in, but you know it's going to be in the format of the eel mending, right? First of all, that's a really good question, dude. Well, that's why I got the show. You know, you know me, brother. I'm like, I got the good questions here, okay? <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll talk about a little bit of the prep where Joey and I are concerned. We, a lot of things formulate around that. You know, it's like, okay, let's make sure that when we play offense, we're understanding you have to, it's about low turnovers on offense and high defensive rebound percentage. Mm-hmm. On the other side, because you want to limit them to one possession because you don't because typical basketball games, it's even possessions, offense, defense, you score, you get the ball back you or they get the ball, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Here, you're actually going to be playing with potentially less possessions than your opponent, depending on what the score is when uh, when time comes for the Elon ended. Yep. So that's like that shapes everything. So you want to have your focus on when you talk to the team is about rebounding. Like, that's all you want to focus on. Hey, everyone has to rebound. Everyone has defensive rebound. Is offensive rebounding as important? Well, it becomes, are you going to give up a transition bucket on the other side? You know, so those are the things we t- we talk about uh, in terms of, like, what we're going to do. ATOs become really important because those are chances you can have set plays. But outside of that, I just think about defensive rebounding. Just, just want guys to defensive rebound. You want all the players to defensive rebound. Right, yeah. Ryan? <laughs> yeah if i had a dollar for every time bonsu texted me to rebound i would be a rich texted man you to rebound an hour before we started recording today so yep. <laughs> put in the group chat I hit, I hit josh up earlier today i was like josh man can't wait for you to rebound he was like i got you bro i got you <laughs> yeah as, as a player ryan i mean same question is it is it always in the back of your mind is it something you have to prepare for for the game um you know where do you land on that i mean for me you try not to you you try to take it uh you know, each play, you know, trying not to look, you know, too far ahead. Obviously, I let Bonsu and, and Joey take care of that aspect. We got, but I, I think I, you just kind of have to read the game and see how it's going in terms of offense and defense, like understanding which lineups are working, which players, you know, are, are, are meshing well together, which which group of guys are playing well together. And then that'll kind of uh, allow you to make a decision on how you want to play the Elam ending, you know, when you want to take that timeout to to give us, you know, cause there, there is some strategy in that. And, and so I kind of let Bonsu and, and Joey take care of all that stuff. But as a player, you just kind of, 
you know, go play by play and understand that like you just want to put yourself in the best situation. So when that Elon Manning happens, you're on the right end. You know, you're the one first to eight points, you know, instead of having, you know, it's you're down whatever yeah or 12 points or whatever whatever you know how you know it's about saying. dictating the game at that point exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah no i i totally get that and that's kind of where again you know my view is as a fan um as somebody who watches on tv and to me it just seems like you're in such a driver's seat i mean it's very obvious you have the lead but bonsu gave us the the secondary point to that is that yes, you have the lead, but now all of a sudden, if you're up by four, you're dictating the pace of the game, because if you want to speed it up and get, get there real quick, you know, that's your prerogative. If you want to slow it down, get your breather, you have two less possessions than the opponent. Cause you're up by four, right? So yep, exactly. You get to and kind of dictate how that goes. As you go into the Elon ending, like if you're playing free flow in basketball, you probably don't want to play free flowing basketball when you get to the on end because you have higher chance to turn the ball over yep. doing that. Cause you have you know, your point guard who hopefully your point guard is a guy who has low turnovers, which was one of the key things in having CJ and Scooch. Yep. There are two guys that don't turn the ball over typically in their careers. Yep. So you want that guy in there and he probably, you want to run heavy pick and roll probably <clears throat> Elon ended. Well, you have to ask yourself, Okay, what what have we been playing fast the whole time? Like, are we going to change the whole way we play basketball? Are you going to throw the ball in the post coming on in end in time? It, it's you know what actually it it consumes a lot of our thought. Now I think about it. <laughs> so, yeah, my, yeah, my question. I mean, that's that's what I'm saying. I let the coaches kind of decide that the strategy at the end, because um, obviously we got to play the first 35 whatever it is 36 minutes of the game, and then the last you know when you call that timeout, the four minutes goes away. So you don't know how long the game lasts, you know, that then it becomes, uh, you know, first to eight or whatever. Yeah. What we do know is when we get a team, when we make a comeback during Elon end time, we can't miss layups, wide open layups. Like we did last year. Facts. When we won. Facts. Uh, and then we can't have dumb fouls. Dude, Although yeah, that's to, huge. That's huge. We need to strategically foul. Cause that almost helped us come back last year. Let me opine on that for one second, because there's one thing that we can drill into even further. And I get to talk to the coach of the TBT team, whereas AG doesn't particularly care about my opinion on this podcast. So I don't get to opine to him. But the other thing that that strikes me as inherently important about the Elam ending is paying attention to your possessions as you get closer to the four minute mark. Like, I don't want to be seeing no bullshit where it's like 455 on the clock and you're not going two for one. Cut that yeah. out. I don't want to yeah. see that. And you know that, right? Or, or the me and Joey really. I got well. I'll be honest. I got on Joey's ass last year at halftime <laughs> because he didn't take a timeout. Uh, to, our user lose a timeout to end the half. Yeah, and I was like, dude, that possession might be it. That <laughs> might be the one. Like, and all the possessions matter so much uh, when you don't know how many you're gonna get. You sound like uh, me now. Yeah. yeah, you got you do gotta like play that two for one game, the three for twos. Now here's the thing though. You don't want a two for one where, and we see in the NBA all the time where guys just go jack up the worst shot possible. For sure. Now, if you're Jordan Poole, shoot the half court shot. You're going to make it clearly. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, that's that's like the other part of it. I love that this conversation. That's the fun part. 
Yeah. Yeah, no doubt, because it's always that double-edged sword type of stuff. Um, like, yeah, you want to go for two for one, but you don't want to fade away 35-footer to get you that two for one, right? Yeah. Um, and that's that's not the game you guys want to play either. So, you know, I, I, I totally understand how the knife cuts both ways. And, you know, from a fan perspective, it's pretty easy to sit back here and be like, here's what I would have done. But I think you have seen now that you went from that guy, like, you know, at Dayton, you're, you're sitting on the bench watching things, and then now, like, you're on the TBT sideline. You get to control kind of what happens. And I'm sure you can now appreciate that more goes into every decision than you probably even realized when you were a walk-on at UD, right? And and I get that. And that's probably one of the biggest, like, problems is, like, when you make suggestions on Twitter, you're always going to get that guy to be like, you don't know any better. AG knows best. And it's like, okay, I, I fucking know that AG knows better than me. He's, like, the coach of our basketball team. Like, I get that. Um, but you know, at face value, you kind of, you evaluate it a different way than when you're up against a gun and you know, you're the one that has to make that decision. So man, last year, I, I, to this day, I still tell everyone, I think we lost that game end of the first quarter, last minute and 10, we made uh, certain subs that they targeted We they went on a 10 0 run. Yep. We never recovered from that. And, and the whole reason we went on 10 0 run, we were, me and Joe were sitting there. We're like, Hey, there's a chance to get guys who we don't think are going to play. Cause it's going to be a close game get them their minutes so they're engaged in the game. And that was a lesson I learned as a coach is, look, there is no get guys minutes when shit matters. Yeah. Like, that got, that that mentality has to leave. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's spot on, man. Um, last questions I have for you, you know, and I appreciate you guys running along. We always say like, oh, we'll go for like 30 minutes. And then we always go way over it anyway. I never have a problem with you guys. This is not an issue. Um, filling time and whatnot. I appreciate the time nonetheless. Uh, but the last question I have around Dayton, uh, you guys get to go back. If I'm not mistaken, Joey said last week that uh, they're actually putting you guys up in the dorms. So this is like blast from the past type of shit, right? Yeah. Where are you staying? Yeah. Caldwell. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Caldwell. Yeah. Yeah. Are you guys looking forward to like being back on campus? I guess it'll be kind of like a, a weird thing because you're like you're full of adults, but you're going to have to sleep in the same like, you know, those beds that can't they can't be that comfortable, right? I mean, for me, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed Caldwell. It was nice, like you put the two beds together, make it a king size bed. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cal- yeah Caldwell was, was good. guys got Caldwell to themselves. What? Just two guys in the, those nice ass apartments. Us, yep. us walk ons and normal students, we know the grind, the swine. Yeah, <laughs> you get put in steerage. All right, I was, I was a steward. I was a steward. So, but. <laughs> Dude, you had worse dorms than I did. I didn't even play hoops oh, in any capacity. Yeah. But uh, no, I I love I love going back. Like I really do that campus with a uh, passion. Like yeah, I me love too. that place. When I go back, I just I love walking around. Like I can't wait. I can't wait to be back there. Yeah, for sure. And I know Ryan already got a chance, but you're gonna be uh be following up here in a couple of weeks. So um, oh, it'll be great to it'll be great to be back, man. Um, I. I, as I told Joey last week, I can't make it um, <clears throat> until you guys make the second weekend. So all the more motivation. All right, just go out there and win one for the old Gipper, your boy Sully. Um, yeah, I, I got to move. So uh, you guys are playing the same day I'm moving. It just it is what it is in this adult life here. Um, but here's my last question for you, and this is this is kind of an open ended trivia because we don't know how it's going to play out. And I really, I, just, I don't know. I waffle on this all the time, but. 13,500 can fit in the arena. I want to answer from both of you. How many people do you guys think are going to be at the arena for that first game? Ryan, you can go first on this one. 
Man, I'm gonna give the cop out answer. All of them. Yeah, gonna, you, you we're gonna go sell that place out, man. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I hope doing so. my part I here on the so. show, so I hope so, man. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I think it'll be you know so exciting for fans just to have some Dayton basketball again. Uh, you know, in in the month of July, like there's not a whole lot going on from you know the Reds suck, so nobody wants to go to a Reds game. So True. like, there's not a whole lot of sporting in that in that uh, uh, Southern Ohio region. So hopefully we get a lot of fans there. Um, hopefully we sell that place out and hopefully we can put on a show for them. No doubt. No doubt. Bonsu, what do you think? You got the same sentiment? You think you're going to sell it out? I, I'm, I'm around 10,000 right now. That's this, is, this is the first time in some years that I could openly like just root and recruit for the University of Dayton. And here's what I'll say to the fans. We have a chance on national TV to show every recruit what being a flyer for life really means. True. And to so I hope it's everyone there. But if you can if you can't make it, support watch on TV. But if you can be there, be there. Yeah. Show them all. Say, hey, like once you play for us, doesn't matter where you are, if we can be make it because you see what they do for OB and the Knicks. Man, the Knicks have like a huge contingent in Ohio now. Yeah. <laughs> they sure do. Yeah. And and so I, I'm I'm excited. I think that the fans are going to show out. Not sure how many. Hope it's everyone. But uh, we're going to try to bring some alum that aren't playing in the game and make it a whole big event around the program. We've got Scooch's camp going on uh, the weekend before. Hopefully, Obi comes down. Which we're, we've already talked to him. We're you know we're going to get out. We're going to try to make everyone make a family event, show off our community. Yeah, you like that buzzword. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You slip community in there right at the last minute of the show. I appreciate that. Community. <laughs> well, I'll, here's what here's what I'll offer up as um, you know as as a ten year alumni now and and host of a podcast. If you guys can get to that second weekend at UD, which will be what the thirty first of July, something like that. Right. Yeah. August, yeah. Yeah. Like the 30th of July. What I will promise since it's in the middle of summer, it's a perfect opportunity. I've always wanted to do this, but you never have an opportunity because it's in the wintertime. I will host a tailgate and I will do like a live show or something along those lines in the parking lot at UD Arena. We'll do a whole tailgate thing. It'll be this, it'll be a big, big to do. All right. So because I can be there that weekend. So if you guys can get to the second weekend. I'll have a big party out in the parking lot with a bunch of flyers. That is my promise to you. Hell yeah, man. Get those natty lights back out. (laughs) Yeah, you know. I mean, you know me. I'm going to (laughs) be lubricated before I walk in. Like, don't you worry, man. Listen to this. When you go to the first game, be lubricated then too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, don't wait for me to get there or anything. Um, But, yeah, no, we're we're all looking forward to it. And, uh, you know, that's why we do the show. You know, get the word out. uh, Let people, you know, kind of start to ease back into to watching Dayton hoops because July is uh, is a weird time to do it just inherently. So um, I appreciate the time today, fellas. You know, we always do final thoughts. I think you you guys kind of did give some final thoughts, but anything else to add before uh, I take the people out of the song? Um, our final thoughts is just buy tickets for the sessions. And then also we we're actually raffling off two seats on our bench. Oh yeah. Any fans. Um, we, we have our link on the link for that on Twitter and also Instagram. So go to the Flyers CBT page, check that out, and you can be on the sidelines of, at UD Arena with Scoochie Smith, Ryan Mikesell, Trey Landers, V Sanford, Jordan Seibert. So it can be a great event. Could be a great birthday present or True. you know anniversary present, whatever it is. You know, so check that out. Silent auction going towards a good cause. Ryan, anything to add? 
No, he hit it right on the head. Uh, you can get your tickets, and uh, we're excited. Whoever shows up, support. You know, if, even if you can't show up, support us by watching on television. Uh, yeah, I'm just excited to play in front of fans again and and get after it. You got it, man. Well, that's what we do. We're gonna keep promoting it. Um, in the nature of you know, kind of rocking the house, getting people back in the arena, and, and making it loud. Uh, I'm gonna take the people out with a, a hit by the Clash, a classic, "Rock the Casbah." Um, and and that's all we got for you tonight. Show ran long because we had a lot of good stuff to discuss. I hope you enjoyed it. Taking the week off for Fourth of July, and then we'll be back that week of July 11th for another episode. Probably get another one of the TBT guys in here to do another interview, uh, getting you ready for the Red Scares game on July 23rd. For Bonsu, for Mike Sell, I'm Sully. It's talking out loud. Two rules. You wear red, you be loud, and we'll catch you later. Jet. Yeah.